Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Shackman. Just as we saw in America in the 60s, as we saw when the Berlin Wall fell, and as we witnessed in the Middle East during the Arab Spring, and as we are witnessing today in Hong Kong, young people are always at the ramparts of change and revolution. This was equally true in France in the run-up to the war and the German occupation. It's the focus of a new book by my guest Ronald Rossbottom entitled Sudden Courage, Youth in France Confront the Germans, 1940 to 1945. Ronald Rossbottom is the author of the best-selling When Paris Went Dark, and it is my pleasure to welcome him here today to talk about Sudden Courage. Ronald, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a delight to have you here. Why have we not heard more about this aspect of what went on in France during these years in the run-up to the war? Well, the, as you know, we're a very, um, how shall we put it, uh, foreign, um, foreign history and foreign governments is way down our list of things we're interested in. But there, World War II is, is still a very popular subject. Uh, everyone loves to read about it because I think, frankly, it was the last war that America won hands down for strong ethical reasons. And so and many of these, um, many of those who fought in it are, are, are in their 90s now. And so everyone is, uh, more and more people are interested in what happened. And since France was so important to us, um, um, as with D-Day and everything else, uh, there's more and more interest in what was going on uh, in France. But this is a subject that, that even the French, uh, um, they've written a little bit about it, but uh, even they did, don't uh, haven't concentrated on this this demographic of kids from about 15 to 25 who were very important in, in keeping the morale up during the war. And in fact, some of those kids, I assume, are, are still around because they were so young then. Talk a little bit about that and, and, and what they've been able, the few that are still around, what they've been able to bear witness to. Well, they are. In fact, I found uh, a young man of 90 uh, uh, through a friend who um, who I had a long conversations with. Um, and uh, many of these young people who survived the war, who weren't um, executed or died in a camp, uh, came back and wrote their memoirs and diaries, or their families did. And those that was a source of most of my... Uh, information is when i was doing when paris went dark it was pretty easy to walk up to someone of a certain age and say what was it like living in paris during the occupation uh, and people would tell you uh it's not nearly that easy to walk up to someone 90 today and say by the way were you in the resistance and number two uh what did you do much more difficult because um the french are still you know, a little ticklish about um, who did what to whom and with whom during that period. So um, most of my resources are from letters, diaries, memoirs, um, repeated stories. Um, but it's hard to find people who are still alive, who are in the resistance, who want to talk about it. Talk a little bit about how the resistance evolved, how these young people came together initially and, and, and began to form this youthful resistance at the time. 
very it was very disorganized um and at for it was not it was not a well um there were many resistance groups different cities don't forget that paris was uh france was divided into two the northern part was controlled totally by the germans the southern part by a right-wing quasi-fascist government called the vichy government because that's where the capital was and so it was uh, it was very informal at first. Uh, kids did things like hide arms uh, uh, that they found on a, on a battlefield, or if a, uh, an allied pilot went down, sometimes uh, the, the, the young people would help them um, uh, get through Paris and then get through the English Channel because the allied pi- uh, pilots were very valuable, and every effort was made to get them back to England. Um, they would write on the walls. They would make obscene gestures and noises to the Germans as they came in. It was very informal and rather uh, teenagers. And then suddenly, as uh, slowly, as they began to realize that this was not a game anymore, they began to form small groups. And um, and I think solidarity was an important aspect of 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 the mentality of these young people. They they form small groups. They um, they begin printing newspapers. Um, um, and clandestinely, they they weren't violent at first. It wasn't until later that they began using arms and 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 uh, uh, explosives to to harass the Germans. So it was a informal sort of spontaneous. Uh, that's that's where my title came from. Uh, the defeat had been very sudden, and and suddenly uh, these young people showed courage. They were embarrassed, uh, frustrated. And uh, so it began very informally. It became more and more structured as the occupation went on. Did they have an object? Was it just resistance for the sake of resistance, or did they have a goal in mind? That's a very good question. Um, yes, the goal was to let the okay. There were, yeah, the goal was to let the Germans know that they weren't welcome here and that the French had not given up, even though their army had been defeated within six weeks. That was the general goal, was to show their patriotism, essentially, and to show that they did not like the new puppet government that had been established in South southern France. So sometime, that was their goal, their initial goal. Um, and... There were personal reasons. Their parents might have been arrested, or they must have communist uh, uh, Jewish kids didn't have many options. Um, um, So they had to resist. Uh, uh, After uh, Hitler invaded Russia, the communist kids became very, very active. And um, it was, there wasn't sort of a well, uh, de Gaulle had gone to London, and he had sent a very famous message back to the French saying, I hope you resist. I don't think he meant that violently. I just hope he, think he meant it sort of morally. But many p- young people heard that word resist and decided that they were called upon to do something. Some supported de Gaulle. Some didn't support de Gaulle. Some supported the communists, etc. But it was um, there was a... Um, it was a very, um, it's a hodgepodge of reasons at first, and slowly it began to focus specifically on the Germans. 
What form did the resistance take with respect to protests or, or demonstrations? And it was different, clearly. What, talk a little bit about the forms that it took. Well, that's a, the first forms was, was, were putting messages on the walls or, or writing little um, um, stickers and sticking them on the walls, telling the Germans to leave, to go away. Um, they would sometimes let the air out of German um, automobiles and said the Germans were pretty lenient with this at first, too, because after all, these were kids for the most part. And um, the Germans were much more concerned about the adults who were uh, in the resistance who were trying to pass information uh, back to England. Uh, and they concentrated much more on the adults than they did on all these youngsters. They didn't realize until later that the youngsters were a very important um, kind of um, uh, symbol of this resistance. Um, so it, uh, and then there was a major march, a major demonstration about six months after the, uh, um, uh, after the war they'd fired, uh, I mean, after the um, occupation. The, the Germans had fired a very prominent professor at the Sorbonne, and so the kids just marched up to Champs-Élysées. The Germans were surprised, the French police were surprised that that many kids showed up, a couple of thousand. And, uh, and by the end, by the time they realized what had happened, they brought out uh, the police and the guns and the water cannons and, and dispersed them. But... Um, and that was the last major public demonstration. From then on, everything was more and more uh, clandestine. And some of these groups didn't know what the other groups were doing. Uh, as I say, it was disorganized, but it was very present. How much courage did it take on the part of these young people to, to engage in this? Well, at first, it was, as I said, um, sort of, I don't know, adolescent um, in your eye kind of of actions and then they began arresting these kids arresting them and then when they they wouldn't uh, execute anyone uh, under the age of 17 but within within a year they the Germans had a hostage policy which was that if you uh, if a German soldier was killed Hitler demanded 50 hostages be shot French hostages mostly uh, communists and Jews, Freemasons, and a lot of 17-year-old kids were um, shot as hostages. Uh, so it's, uh, it became clearly within a year that if you happen to be caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, even though your crime, so to speak, had not been uh, physical, but you just happened to be in jail at the wrong time, suddenly it became very serious that you're your life could be in danger, or your parents' lives could be in danger, because they might arrest your parents as well. And so this slowly, it's slow, it was no longer a game. It became a very serious um, series of actions, and they realized that they could be arrested. They could be thrown in prison. Their parents could be arrested or fired. Uh, or fathers fired. Uh, the family could be disrupted. Um, it it, um, it it was a it was an evolving thing. But it, finally, when when their friends started getting shot, they realized, whoops, this is no longer a game. But it didn't stop them. They just went further underground. 
What about their parents? And was there an effort on the part of some of their parents to really rail them in? Yeah, you can imagine if you've raised a kid. I mean, raising a teenager is difficult on <laughs> normal times. Um, can you imagine a kid coming in and saying, hey, I'm going out with some buddies. We're going to, uh, we're going to raid a bike depot because we need bikes. And, and their parents just absolutely begging them not to. Um, and uh, sometimes they tell their parents, and sometimes the parents supported them, said, do what you have to do. Be careful. Other parents would say, don't do it. Or their, or their teachers would say, do it or don't do it. So they were constantly being surveilled, uh, these young people. And some families uh, were, were very concerned, uh, and other families were very supportive. Uh, the, the problem, one of the major problems, of course, is that two million French soldiers were prisoners of war. So many of these households were single-parent households. Mm -hmm. And if this young man or young woman decided they wanted to go and do some clandestine work, that they're leaving their mother alone to take care of the family, to find the food, uh, to raise the younger kids. And so that became a problem, too. Do I owe more to my family and my mother or more to my country and my friends? Did some of these young people fancy themselves as the future leaders of France? Did they see a role for themselves as things progressed? Were they able to look that far down the road? That's a, yes, that's another interesting question. I am sure that there were some who did. Primarily, they were looking down the road, though, toward what kind of government uh, they wanted afterwards. Uh, uh, and they were, they had, they were, they were idealists. They were looking to, for an ideal future. Their government had failed them. The most powerful army in Europe was the French army. It had failed them. Um, the the whole uh, diplomacy had failed them with Munich and trying to appease Hitler, and it never worked. So they were looking to a future where you had more assertive and courageous uh, leaders, much more than I think they were looking for. I found very few examples of young people who said, well, I'm going to be the next president of France, or I'll be sure to straighten these things out. Some of them did, but many of the people in the resistance did later join the government and become very prominent, in fact, after the war, having been in the resistance, um, and uh, was was quite a advantage for politicians, but I don't think their I, their their reason was to uh, was personal. It was more kind of a uh, it was more kind of a general uh, patriotism and frustration with the absence of liberty. And to what extent did it grow uh, over a period of of these five years? It grew. It grew a lot. The French did, the Germans did two things which encouraged that growth. Uh, the first was introduce a a required service obligation of every young man uh, age of eighteen uh, and older, and every woman the age of twenty, which said uh, you were required to. It was a draft. You were required to go work for a year or two in Germany to help the German. Um, war machine. If you do that, we the Germans will freeze some of our POWs. Well, imagine being a kid and, and you were suddenly going to be drafted 
to uh, go to Germany, um, which was dangerous. Uh, even if you wanted to go, it was still dangerous. Uh, and they'd pay you um, um, to do that. There was a lot of emoluments. But it really, what it really did was send a lot of kids into the woods, into the forests, into the mountains, uh, in, into hiding. And so beginning about 41, 42, uh, the, the, the resistance groups grew. And then by then, the Allies realized if they armed some of these uh, groups, they might be very helpful in keeping the Germans at bay while they planned the D-Day invasion. The other thing that happened was the, Ger- and the really stupid thing the Germans did was impose the wearing of the Yellow Star on every Jewish person, French or non-French, from the age of six. Uh, every Jew had to, write, had to uh, wear a star sewn tightly to their garments, so they couldn't just put it on with a with a um, safety pin, and this this really offended a lot of young people. Uh, suddenly, their friends are appearing with stars. They didn't even know they they were Jewish, and many of the Jewish kids didn't know they were Jewish until their parents told them we have to start to wear this star. This offended not only the general Gentile population, but it it really offended a lot of the young people who said, wait a minute, this is my buddy, this is my girlfriend, uh, this is my sister's boyfriend, what's what's going on? And that that action um, stimulated many young people to go uh, clandestinely. Uh, uh, So it was a a process that got... Uh, more and more organized, the Allies began realizing more and more that these um, um, that these young people could be of help, help to them, and um, and began sending them, um, as I said, arms or leaders to help them organize their groups. So it got stronger and stronger. So that by the time of D-Day, it was a pretty well established uh, uh, groups of people. And did their efforts and word of their efforts spread through other occupied parts of Europe at the time? Yes, it did, and especially by way of BBC and uh, French radio and De Gaulle. Uh, it spread, and it spread. Uh, they would get information out, and, and it was. By the way, it was spread. The same thing was happening in other countries too, and that information was getting out. That there was a whole. Um, you know, there was a whole resistance mentality going on throughout Europe, and that uh, that the, the, the that belied the Third Reich's propaganda that they were only protecting Europe from the Bolsheviks, and that they were in fact saviors. Um, so yes, a lot of that got out. I got out into the United States because BBC. Um, the the myth of the resistance of courageous young people going to their death and being shot against a wall with Mausing um, and the Marxists, all those myths began in the, in, during the war. In fact, Casablanca, the great film Casablanca, was made in 1942, and it has a major scene where uh, French uh, Frenchmen get up and sing the Marseillaise in front of mm-hmm. Germans. So, yes, it was. Th- th- but this idea that the resistance was somehow, but but it gave the idea that resistance was much more powerful than it was. But yes, the myth began right in the middle of the war. Did it make a difference? Uh, that is still a debatable question. I think the answer is yes, but not a big difference. Um, 
the, with things have changed, have there been no resistance, where there had been less information gathered, um, the Germans would have been less harassed. But the Germans were very successful at keeping uh, internal order and very, and with the help of the French police. And this is something to keep in mind that the French police were helping the Germans do this uh, under orders from the Vichy government. Um, Eisenhower famously said that that after D-Day that the French resistance was worth several battalions, and uh, uh, people have doubted that. that They were useful right at the beginning of D-Day because they did blow up a lot of bridges and rail lines and telegraph and telephone lines were very useful like that, but uh, they were not determinative in the uh, Allied victory. but who's who? Who can tell how how much that sort of uh, passion and 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 morale uh, affected uh, an occupied country? So it's very hard to measure their effectiveness. But militarily, they weren't determinative. Ronald Rossbottom. The book is Sudden Courage, Youth in France Confront the Germans, 1940 to 1945. Ronald, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you very much. You ask very good questions. Thank you.